God's way of guiding us toward himself is relational. It has always been relational. We don't always pick up on that. When we turn to the scripture, we have this tendency to think that this is God's rule book, which I'm not saying that there aren't rules here. But so much of the time, you see, through the history of our lives, even our community, you can see that people use this book as a means of bashing others for not doing what they're supposed to do. It can be used that way. It's a dangerous tool if you don't understand what God is up to. God's way of guiding us toward himself is relational. It has always been relational from the first stories that we read about in the Old Testament, these Hebrew scriptures that guide us to understand God and God's nature. God wandering through the garden, looking for Adam and Eve who are hidden out wanting to be away from God. And God says to them, where are you? And they have to admit that they have tasted of more than they ever assumed possible. And God is in relationship to them, pulling them toward his righteousness before even the rains came. Noah was so in relationship with God that he knew that God was Lord of all. And God so looked upon his life as the hope of the future that he said, build an ark. Things are gonna change around here. God has always been relational. When Abram heard the Lord speak into his heart, into his mind. He knew that all of this was more about relating to God than it was just finding another space, a holy land. When Jacob laid down to sleep at night, he was troubled by his dreams Who was it that was in the midst of those dreams? It was God seeking relationship with Jacob. You remember the story of Moses, don't you? And how this one who was in direct conversation with God, finally there wandering through the wilderness, came to the mount and In seeing the bush that was on fire but not consumed, God began to speak his wisdom to him. He spoke to him on another mount and gave to him a book of laws, the beginnings of Torah. You know what the Torah is all about, and here you go. It's a book of rules. But think about the rules, because all of these rules are so relational, having to do with our relationship with God 
and our relationship with each other. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol, for I am the Lord your God. I am a jealous God. Does that sound relational to you? You shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Honor your father and mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not covet your neighbor. All of these good rules, but relational rules. The church has a problem with this, as did the temple before it and the synagogues. And as government seems to as well, because rules, if left to themselves, become very, very self-serving. Rules are made for man, not man for rules. Let's talk about Paul for just a little bit. You know that Paul was born into Jewish tradition. In fact, he was the son of a preacher man. He was a Pharisee, son of a Pharisee. He was entirely steeped in what it meant to be a person of God. And yet there was something that was a disconnect with him in terms of relating to the nature of who God was. Paul, this man that we have come to know early on in his life, was a very arrogant soul. In fact, wherever he went, he was trying to police religion in order that religion be done right. He was on the tail of many early believers that we call the way, the early church. In fact, the Scripture tells us that he was holding the cloaks of those that were in the process of stoning Stephen. Can you imagine what was going on in Paul's mind? Maybe somewhere deep within him, he was taking note of this dear, precious soul that was being stoned to death. How could God be in him? And yet maybe he was asking the question, how could God not be in him? It was on the road to Damascus that God came to Paul. He was known as Saul at this time. And you remember God's words, don't you? spoken directly to him. <clears throat> Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He knew who was speaking to him, but he had a hard time figuring out the context. He had been doing God's work. He thought and yet he was very, very disconnected with the very nature 
of what God was up to in the world. These words for him were a judgment, and yet they also were a call to loving relationship. I tell you, God's way of guiding us toward himself has always been, will always be, relational. Do any of you remember that old book, I'm Okay, You're Okay? Thomas Harris, this physician who applied his thoughts to transactional analysis and talked about the relationship between parent and child and how that manifests itself, especially in youth, young adults, and adults, and what that means for us. We carry all kinds of guilt and we carry with us at any time in life the damage done by those that have gone before. And his book was an encouragement to remember that we're okay in the midst of this, in these relationships. I found it interesting that someone came out a few years after he wrote his book and wrote another book with the title, If I'm Okay and You're Okay, Then Who the Heck is calling, Causing All the Problems? I like that second title better than the first. You know who's making all the problems, who's doing all the problems, who's creating this. We're creating it, right? We're creating the problems. Paul knew this. That's why he wrote so clearly in this book of Romans, this book to those early Christians. He wrote about the own context he was feeling in the midst of this for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God he was including himself in that now if you have read through Romans you know that there are some difficult things to understand but this is not too hard to understand that we are put in right relationship you want to know what the meaning of justification is you look carefully there righteousness and justification same word in the Greek language we are put right with God through this faith in what Jesus Christ has done. It's a very simple thing. Paul, as he's going through his laundry list of sins, and if you read through, you get a long laundry list in the book of Romans, puts that in the context of statements like these. Therefore, you have no excuse, whoever you are, when you judge others. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, are doing the very same things. Oh, God save us from a judgmental attitude. I talk with people that aren't involved in church occasionally, and I pick up on the fact that the church has hurt so many through the years. Have you ever been that person? Is there anyone that you know that has been hurt by the judgmentalism of the church. You and I are called to change that, 
to remember ourselves and to remind others that God is relational. And the ultimate relation is this relation to Christ and to believe, to have faith that what he has done is sufficient to make us one with God himself. John Wesley came to a prayer meeting in 1738 and he heard someone reading Martin Luther's preface to the book of Romans. If you haven't read it, you ought to read it. It's not so very long, just nine pages, and you can look it up on the internet if you'll Google it this afternoon. When John Wesley came to that meeting, he was a much discouraged preacher. In fact, he was at the point of giving up his ministry. And there in the context of hearing this preface of Martin Luther who focused on the heart and matters of faith and understanding that Christ has borne our sin, John Wesley said in his journal, I felt my heart strangely warmed, and he got up from that place, and for him, everything was different. His heart was transformed by the acceptance, not of the things that he had done right or the judgment of things that he had done wrong, but simply transformed by this enormous thing, this gracious presence of God's love poured out on Calvary. In about a month, we'll have an opportunity to come here and stand at the altar March the 5th. If it's not on your calendar, mark that day because that's Ash Wednesday, the beginning of Lent. We'll stand here and give the opportunity for those who come forward for a cross to be marked on the forehead by the use of ashes. How many of you have had this experience before? Raise your hand. Nearly everybody here. If you haven't, you need to come and let this be a part of your experience. It is a receiving of the cross in such a profound way marking us with the remembrance that we are, we are nothing without Christ. Our lives are those so fulfilled by what Christ has done that we are transformed into his people. I remember having a conversation with a very precious lady who had been a part of the church for ages. I went back to see her when she was 93 years old. Sarah Cook was her name. I saw her in the nursing home, and in visiting with her, she said to me, she said, God has been so faithful. And I said, Sarah, and you have been faithful. And she stopped 
and she said, oh, no, 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 no. She said, she said, so many things that I have done have been absolutely tragic, big things and little things. In fact, a lot of little things, she said. She said, you know, they add up. And she went on to say, but she said, here at 93 years, I'm more convinced about God's forgiveness than I am about anything else. Such gracious and divine love. Such gracious and divine love. Do you know that love is being a part of the church, a matter of rules for you? Do you find yourself judging other people who don't have their lives all together? Do you remember that you don't have your life together either? Are you willing to let Christ's gift of relationship, the gift of his life, be at the center of yours? There was a child that sat in church a couple of years ago. His mother told me that the child in the midst of our receiving communion paid attention to those words in the prayer of confession and pardon where we say we have not loved our neighbors And the child looked up at the mother and said, I thought we loved our neighbors. And the mother had the good sense to say, not everybody. And so we pray on behalf of those who don't. And not everybody loves God. And our prayers are offered on their behalf as well. Do you pray for people like that? Do you realize that this is all about relationship that Christ alone has made possible?